Do you want to know how to get featured in mass media outlets like brands such as Canva, Vinomofo and Uber to increase the trust and credibility in your brand? Mass media exposure elevates the perception of your brand, attracting customers and clients, increasing sales and enabling you to outsell your competitors. The Magnify You podcast has been made for you. I'm your host, Monica Rosenfeld, and I founded and have been running my PR agency, Wordstorm PR, for 20 years. Over that time, we've worked with literally hundreds of brands and positioned our clients as the go-to media spokespeople for their industry. Before this, I worked as a producer at A Current Affair, where I learned what it takes to get your story in the media. I will be interviewing journalists, talent agents, media professionals, and inspiring entrepreneurs about what it takes to mainstream your message. Welcome back to the Magnify You podcast. I'm your host, Monica Rosenfeld. Last week was our first episode, an interview with Shannon Malloy, senior reporter at news.com.au. And based on your feedback and comments, you love the episode, which is fantastic because that's the whole reason I'm doing this podcast, to give you valuable information and insights into the media. I would really appreciate if you could rate and review it if you liked it on the Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whatever app you listen to the show on. Today, I'm really excited to welcome our next guest. Her name is Gemma Acton, and she's a finance expert within the National 7 News team. And she's fast becoming one of Australia's foremost business and financial commentators. As Seven's network finance editor, Gemma covers financial and business stories, making headlines across the country and around the world. She also speaks what I believe are the two most beautiful European languages, Italian and French. Bonjour, Gemma. Bonjour, Monica. How are you today? Uh, really well, thanks. I just got back to Sydney last night, so it's nice to be home. Yeah. I do travel a lot for your work? Not too much. I do cover stories nationally, but a lot of them we can do from Sydney. They're relevant to the whole country. Um, but my parents and my sister and niece are down in Melbourne, so if there's a work opportunity to be down there, I seize it. Yeah, I always love a good excuse to visit Melbourne. Exactly. <laughs> um, so let's get stuck into it. What is the worst thing about working in media? The worst thing um, is probably the online abuse. You'd think something like finance is not a particularly personal contentious issue but you do wake up every day to all sorts of Twitter attacks and Facebook attacks and usually interestingly they're quite personal so it's about your accent or about the dress you're wearing. It just gets a bit tiresome just being attacked all day long. It's incredible that people have so much time on their hands. (laughs) That's what I always think as well. I also just think I don't know how, how happy you can be if you're just continually attacking small things in the world and this is very different from constructive criticism I welcome constructive criticism if someone thinks I've been too biased in a story it's always interesting to hear if somebody thinks that I haven't fairly represented a point of view love hearing that as well if there's a side I haven't considered but that's different to just being told why do you wear yellow you look horrible in yellow Unbelievable. (laughs) That is incredible. And how do you um, protect yourself from that? Um, Honestly, it's probably not a great thing, but you do build up quite a thick skin over time. And I think you just surround yourself with people who know you really well and like you for that. So I have a really wonderful family, um, beautiful boyfriend, really nice friends and great colleagues as well. So um, I think that you get a lot of support. They'll always tell me if something needs to be changed or fixed, but um, it's not just a willy-nilly 
abusive comments coming at you. And never respond to trolls. No, that was a good lesson actually. I, I, I wasted a lot of time trying to bring people around and then I realised that some people just like the attention or just like being engaged in a bitter battle. So, wow. thanks. All right, moving away from the worst <laughs> happy, thing. What's happy the, topics. <laughs> what's the best thing about working media? The best thing, um, it's got to be the variety. Every day is just so incredibly different and unpredictable and exciting. I, I said the other best thing, particularly in news, is that you always have access to people who are making news. So I don't think there's anyone in journalism who's not an intensely curious person. So we have lots of questions about any topic that's topical. Um, so having access to people who can answer those questions or at least you know, have a chance to put it to them is is a huge privilege. Um, and for the listeners out there, can you tell me a bit about the various roles you've worked within media? Yeah, so um, started off producing, as I mentioned, and then combination of producing, reporting and anchoring at CNBC. And then, oh, I also wrote for them. They've got a website as well, which I think Certainly at Seven, we're moving more towards that, having a more holistic model. Mm -hmm. um, I know some of our competitors here have been doing that for a while where people write, they do some reporting, they do a bit of radio if we've got the facilities. Um, and I think that's the way forward. Once you've researched a story, as many mediums as you can put it out on, the better because you've done all the research, you've done the hard work. So that certainly makes you a more versatile journalist, being able to know what works for a print audience versus a radio audience versus a television audience. Um, and then here at Seven, um, I do television, but I do it across all the shows, which is really fun actually because my bread and butter is the 6pm news, but it has a very particular audience. It tends to be majority housewives in the early evenings um, with young children Different audience to what you get in the morning on the morning show, different audience again to an older audience, which is the afternoon shows. And then in the evenings, we have a slightly younger audience for the latest, which is our late night news. And um, so getting to try all those different shows, figure out what works for different audiences, what kind of tone to take, what kind of personality to demonstrate. It's all you, but there are different sides you emphasize that work for different shows and work with different presenters. It, it keeps it really lively and fun. And I, I love to write as well. I was doing um, a bit of writing for the Australian last year and oh, actually even earlier this year, but um, time gets in the way because mm. <laughs> um, you also, well, I do um, a lot of events outside sort of emceeing, keynote, that sort of thing, right. which is also really fun because it's different topics. And so what does a typical day in the life of Gemma Acton look like from sort of morning, <laughs> like what time do you wake up, what time do you go to bed at night and what happens in between? And I know it's varied, but, you know, when do you need to check in with the new stories, yeah. which stories are you going to chase, which ones aren't you going to chase? Just give us a bit of an insight into a day in the life of a news reporter. Sure. So you're right, they are extremely varied and things change very quickly, but the show times never change. So that gives you structure, which is helpful. So you know there's a 6pm news. I'll know usually the day in advance if I'm doing the morning show or the daily edition. And I know every night I do the latest at around 10, 30, 11 p.m. So that gives you structure which you can build around. So if I have an event in the evening, I, know I won't be able to exercise then. So I'll exercise in the morning, in which case I'll get up around 6.30 or so. Otherwise, I'll, I'll do it between 6 p.m. news and the latest. I think exercise is essential even when everything else falls apart. I totally agree. Yeah. It keeps you sane. It does. It, it also just keeps your body in better shape. And you, you can't afford to get run down and sick on the job. It's a very long day if you're ill. And mentally, it keeps you in better shape. I, I agree as yeah. well. So that, that I really always always try and fit in um, that we have a meeting at work at 9 30 in the morning um, I'm not a part of that that's all the producers and the edit and the editorial team they discuss all the hot topics for the day and the stories are assigned after that so I try to give 
my EP and my chief of staff um, a list of potential story ideas before that, which I've gathered from PR emails and also from reading a couple of papers in the morning. I read about four publications and look at which data announcements are coming out that day. And then at about 10 o'clock, a story is assigned. That can change sometimes throughout the day. It's a bit of a nightmare. If something breaks in the afternoon, you sort of abandon everything you've scrambled to collect all day. And then you just spend the rest of the day rushing around collecting. We usually get two or three people talking. So uh, I'm sure anyone who's worked in either journalism or PR knows that case studies are the hardest thing to come up with mm-hmm. last minute. So they're real-life people who, who are a living, walking, talking, real example of story we're talking about but they're an essential element to the story they are they humanize it 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 helps especially in my space finance and business you want to have something relatable at the start to ease people into the story so anyone out there listening if you're wanting to pitch to people (laughs) like Gemma you've got to give people with stories absolutely yeah it's 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 very difficult because usually case studies are just found by people we know it's just thinking oh I met someone who who was a mum of two single kids and so maybe she could talk and think back to what party was that at who invited them so it's it's really... I can't tell you how many friends I got onto a current affair and oh, who no longer yeah. talk to me <laughs> because their cellulite was flashed in front of the whole nation. So. No, you've got to be careful. Um, experts are easier because there's lots of... Experts are pretty happy to talk usually. Many of them, um, it helps their own careers or they, they do a lot of talking, which is good for them. So if there's a breaking story and someone out there is an expert in this field and a true expert, like they've been doing this for 20, 30 years and they know their stuff and they're good media talent, is that a good opportunity... For for them to definitely pitch to news in definitely. the morning, like at eight thirty. Oh yeah, as so early as possible. Or yeah. eight or six. It's, it's or never going to be too early. Yeah. yeah. Um. It's, it's, if you think you're good, but also I, I've built up. A, I've been at Seven now for two years. I've got a database of a thousand names and contact details. Some of them are PR. Some of them are execs. Some of them are the case studies people who I can call on very readily because recreating the wheel every time is impossible. Mm. So it's the last thing I feel like doing at 11.30 at night when I go home. But I go through and make sure I've recorded everyone's details, you know, a few notes about what we worked on together. And then I've filed it all, so it's by topic. So if I'm doing a story on, say, tech privacy, I can just sort it by that and come up with seven names. Yeah. And that just really makes life so much easier. But so, so point being, if there's anyone who is interested in doing TV and is a genuine expert, please get in touch at any point. We'll grab a quick coffee, we'll have a chat, and then I can pop you in the database and you'll, you'll come up when I, when I do this. But that, it's enormously helpful having that. Fantastic. So it's generally one key story you're working on a day? Yeah, it depends. Again, with the different shows, different things are interesting. So, for instance, on Tuesday I did a story about chocolate for the, for the afternoon show. But then in the evening it's a story about economics. And so uh, it depends on different shows. Ideally you'll be working on just one story for a day because then you can really sink your teeth in and, and understand more interesting angles that are just more value add in terms of what you tell your viewers. And who decides and how is it decided which stories are going to go on the social media platform? So if they qualify for Seven News, they will probably go up. Usually it's just a matter of how like an overflow of stories if, if they don't all go up, but they should pretty much on the whole just go up. Just yeah. sequentially. And yeah. each of the different Seven Seven Network overall has many different social media channels. And so even just say on Twitter, there's you know, Seven News Sydney, Seven News Australia, Morning Show, The Daily Edition, everyone has their own. It has to fit within the personality of that brand. So uh, the head of social media for us is um, very precise about what works for that particular brand. And I'm very true to that because people who follow that particular brand expect a certain thing so if it's gone on the show already it's 
it automatically qualifies to go on the social media channel. Okay, fantastic. Because what I always say to clients is, you know, I don't care how powerful your social media channels are <laughs> and how much you spend on it from time and money point of view, it's nowhere near as powerful as a, a TV network's social yeah. media channel. So yeah, it it's really, really beneficial just to magnify that message. Yeah, I mean, uh, they pick up on a lot of the tweets I send, which is helpful, the seven years social media platforms around Australia and so I mean yesterday I sent one in the morning and they picked it up and within sort of two hours it's gone to a le- viewed by 11,000 people so yeah. it's just the reach is just so much further whereas if, it, Absolutely. if I'd sent it it would be sort of you know yeah. 2,000 or so, so. And everyone asks well how, how do I go viral? Well that's yeah. how you go viral. <laughs> yeah. no, you get on the social helps. media platform of a, of a mass media outlet. How many pitches would you receive a day? So we're having this interview you'll be with me for about an hour. Yeah. At the end of the hour, you'll check your phone. How many more pitches on would you have received? Gosh, a lot. It really depends on the day, but by the end of the day, it will be dozens of of pitches. And which ones stand out to you? Which do you so, do you read them all? Yeah, do I do read them all. At least scan them all. Um, I used to be more diligent about responding to everyone with a reason of why or why we weren't going to pursue it. I, I'm just too busy, frankly, these days. I just I yeah, just can't. You need to yeah. sleep sometimes. <laughs> exactly, and so I. Get, do get a little bit frustrated when they're really generic, really thoughtless, nothing to do with my subject area, not even addressed to me, just sort of, hi there, mm. we thought this might be interesting for your for your publication. That sort of thing is just just annoying. I, I've always said if I was Prime Minister for a day, I'd make there be a charge for sending emails. Then people would be much more thoughtful about mm. who they send emails to. If it cost $5 to send every email, you wouldn't get these ridiculous distribution lists which people get swept up in. That's a novel idea. <laughs> But what what's a what's a good pitch? Okay, I think it's I think one thing that's really important to remember that I've noticed is that a lot of people, a lot of PRs pitch stories without thinking that it's for TV. So it might be the greatest, might be a really interesting story, um, it might be a really important story. But if you haven't thought about the pictures, we just can't do it. Like there, there's really great, you know, exciting stories about really impressive entrepreneurs who've made a bucket load of money from their garage with an accounting software system. I'm like. How, how do we show you that? How do we yeah. show an accounting software system that's going to make people that's sitting at home stay tuned? They're going to change the channel. We can't show that unless you have a really exciting way to show that. Now, we did actually do a story once about accounting softwares because one of their clients was Messina, the gelato brand, which everyone knows and loves. And so we had this really exciting, fun, colourful start where they organised for us to come in and we could you know, film behind the scenes there. So it can work. It definitely can work. But please think first. You just about have to it. put thought into yeah, the visuals. Yeah, and what works for newspaper doesn't always work for television. And I think sometimes we get pictures that are just generic pictures across any medium, which is is unhelpful. Mm. And in the subject line, what should they say to get what your it attention? is? Yeah. So it, especially chase. if it's embargo exclusive or something like that. Um, also, it gets really tiring being pitched something exclusive when it's really not an exclusive. It just I think it cheapens it. So. If it's a genuine exclusive, that's really exciting. Thank you very much for thinking of us. But if it's just something that you – basically a non-story that you want to get away, it's just a bit insulting and looks very lazy and dishonest as well. So for the people out there listening who don't know what an, an exclusive is, can you t- talk sure, to sorry, them? Sure, sorry, yeah. So exclusive is um, when you're the only ones who have access to the story or first access to the story. So if it is a genuine exclusive, it is if some, a new company is launching and they you're genuinely offered at first, would you like – would Channel 7 like to be the only ones to run with this and everyone else can pick it up later in the day? That's hugely exciting. If it's something that's not really news at all and no one would really be interested and sometimes people try and pass it off as an exclusive, 
it's just a bit tiring. So you have to wade through lots of details until you figure out yourself. There's nothing exclusive about this. This mm. is just not really news. Yeah. And in order to illustrate the pictures and the vision in the email, should they have a range of photos and just well, that would be incredible. Of, but yeah. just even just a couple of bullet points and ideas are great. Yeah. Like um, what can be filmed exactly. Yeah. 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 Like we there's sometimes we do quirky things with a uh, science and tech, like new companies. And it might be something like, oh, you know, a robot that helps people in wheelchairs do X, Y, and Z. I don't know from that pitch if what we can show or what we can see because I can't really visualise it. So in that kind of case, if they can either show a sample video or say we have access to the lab where this is built and we have someone who can trial it for us and there's an on-screen display which you can interact with, like that sort of thing, I can straight away visualise and start imagining how we could do a story around this. Mm -hmm. So I think... When I go to my EP, if he's doubtful about a story, his first question to me every single time is, what are the opening shots? If you lose people in the first 10 seconds, they're gone. They will genuinely switch the channel. We can monitor minute by minute what people are watching, so it matters. And so if you're a PR wanting to pitch to television, please think yourself, what will the opening shots be? Because that, in my head, is the first question as well. Mm -hmm. And this isn't just for PRs. You know, if you're a business out there with an interesting story to tell or an expert... This information is for you too. You're hearing it from Gemma herself. So I, I would just say I think I've just sounded a bit rude about PRs to some some sending not thoughtful emails. A good PR who sends a thoughtful email with the the story clearly laid out, why it's interesting, why it's newsworthy. Another problem is people often don't think whether it's newsworthy or not. Just sit down and watch ten minutes of the six PM news and see whether you, your story would slot in. A PR who sends all the right stuff, you know, picture ideas, the talent suggestion, a case study suggestion, a short, succinct email, is so incredible to work with. It's an absolute joy. Mm. I, I can think of two this week alone I've worked with who just made my life so much easier and who I'm really excited to work with again in the future. You're about to have a third because you're speaking okay. to another <laughs> people. Um, but on that, you you recently ran a story about the upcoming Singularity U Australia Summit. Yes. Um, a story pitched to you by my team, Wordstorm PR. So what made that story appealing? I, it was very different to novel. So again, this is one of the examples of one where there's new tech and the ideas I could hardly even wrap my head around to start off with. And then I, I, I talked to your, your PR team and they explained to me, oh, we could show you this, we can show you that. This is what will be at the expo if you come along to the expo. So I knew exactly what we were going to get and I knew we could build a story around it. But there's, there are scientific ideas that people, people like, much as we say if it bleeds, it leads. Yes, you know, people have got sort of a sick mind sometimes, but also people like good news stories. If there's a chance to improve many people's health, if there's a chance to help someone who's never walked walk again, if there's a chance to help a deaf person hear, those sort of stories are really inspiring and exciting. And so to meet the people behind them, hear their passion, talk to someone who it might help, it's, we love doing inspiring stories. I mean, again, covering the economy, it's a pretty gloomy topic a lot of the time, particularly at the moment. So uh, hearing something upbeat and progressive is, is enormously exciting. Um, and you report on business and finance stories, um, but you report on so much more than that. Yeah. So just to help people think about what's relevant um, for you, what are some of the di- – so business, finance, tech, but then you've done chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> so what are some of the th- – like what are the key themes? Uh, yeah, so that's a good question. Um, so again, if there's a big economic or finance or business story, that has to be my story. Some days there's no story. And there's only so many times you can you know, talk about the banks or retail sales not doing very well. So I do keep a list, which I circulate to my, my team every now and then, of evergreen stories that are you know, thematically big, such as what's the effect of delivery food 
on restaurants. That sort of thing I can tackle any day. It's going to be relevant two months ago. It's going to be relevant in six months' time. So I love stories that are slightly offbeat and it's much more exciting for me to, to cover a broad spectrum of things. So if you've got an idea that's, that's something like that, you, you can usually find some sort of business or finance angle. I can at least. So clearly some things are just far too offbeat. Like I'm never going to go be covering bushfires or I'm never going to be um, covering a sailing race probably unless it's something to do with a sponsor. But generally, we can find tying it into business. Yeah, and so if if I if I'm excited about it and and passionate about it, and I mean, money's at the base of so many things that there's generally a money angle. But you know, if it's if it's a story you're excited about, genuinely excited about, and you think there are good graphics and you think it might work on TV, there's every chance I'll get excited about it. Then I'll fight really hard to have it on a on a slow news day where I don't have any other specific story planned. Um, I've come in on weekends before to do stories I feel passionately about. I'm actually supposed to have tomorrow off, but there's a, a story I'm quite excited to do that's a bit off kilter it's about sport but looking forward to doing that so I'm coming in tomorrow to do that oh fantastic um and when you arrive on location to shoot a story what can people do to make your job easy oh you can deliver what we agreed earlier (laughs) so sometimes you turn up and people say actually you won't be able to film here and actually the talent isn't available but we've got a really good other person instead and oh the case study just cancelled but that's okay because we thought we could we have such a tight deadline please just I, I, I try so hard to agree in advance everything we need to make it work and I, I and I apologize because actually sometimes we run late because we can't control our schedule or sometimes the cameraman get held up so we're not perfect on turning up in time but I always deliver I think what I said I was going to deliver so just being honest like I've tried hard to map it out beforehand and if there's a problem please let me know as soon as it comes up I, obviously disasters happen I know that but if you could just let me know as soon as you do it's really helpful thank you <laughs> Do you fact check your stories? Look, I have to. Given my space, it's all based around numbers and facts. If I lose my credibility, I have nothing. I really don't. Why would anyone trust anything I say? So for me, it's incredibly important. And given I only have a few minutes on air every day, you know, 6 p.m. news, it's about 80 seconds. 4 p.m. news, about a minute and a half. The latest, maybe three or four minutes. The d- daily show is about four or five minutes as well. You can make sure everything you say is absolutely right. It's not like I have to talk for three hours straight about lots of different topics. So for me, it's essential. I also try to give a balanced point of view. Obviously, if a PR is pitching a story, you don't usually get the other side of the story. So I go to the database and find someone who might be able to give a balanced view. Even if I, even if I really believe the PR is accurate, you, there's always another side to a story. I mean, an example would be on Monday, we, we cover the launch of a company called super rewards which i think is a really good company it's where you if you shop through certain online channels they contribute to your super account and it's free for you to use i actually genuinely think it's a good idea but we got someone talking about the downfalls to it yeah. which is simply like don't spend more than you need to at woolworths or apple or the iconic or anywhere just to get this because you're better off just <laughs> donating directly to your own super account mm-hmm. um so we always always try and flag the other side of the story yeah yeah that's really important. What happens if you get pitched by PR companies or just people out there with business ideas wanting to pitch to you and it's not accurate? Does that put a sour taste in your mouth? Absolutely. I've actually gone back and quite quite angrily to certain PR saying this is completely misleading. You've come to me and made this overarching statement that this is what's happening with the economy where you've picked on a tiny data point which is completely unrepresentative of everything else that's happening. And then that, to their credit, I, I can think of not too many times, maybe a dozen times in the last few months this has happened. And they've come back with a big long explanation saying, yes, sorry, I should have caveated that or qualified it. And it just does annoy me because I, you know, I've been doing finance and business since I was 18. I'm 38. I've been doing it for two decades, day in, day out. And 
I can spot these things straight away. But if you sent it to someone who's covering for me on one of my days off, they wouldn't necessarily have the background or the immersion in it that I have and wouldn't necessarily be able to spot that. And that just puts them at risk of losing their credibility. So I think it's extraordinarily responsible. And I definitely remember who I've received unreliable stories from. And sometimes it's a general explanation and we, we thrashed out on the phone afterwards. But but be careful. It's 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 not seen as I, – I think it's very dishonest and very sneaky. Yeah. Okay. And the other thing you mentioned, you know, you're on air for about two minutes or a minute and a half or max sort of three minutes. How long does a typical shoot take and what should people have in mind to ensure they get they magnify the message in in the best way, knowing that it's going to be cut to a two-minute story? Yeah, so that's a really good question because our scripts are 80 seconds. You, it's so hard to say anything in 80 seconds. Um, and so you really learn what matters and what doesn't. And it took me a long time, even from banking, where you have pages of footnotes for everything you say and lots of caveats and clauses and all the rest of it to get to crunching through and getting to the important stuff. Um, so actually just read through it and realise that a lot of stuff's interesting and fun and nice to have, but it's not essential. There's a core message there and you really need to know what the core message is because sometimes you'll get less than 80 seconds. Sometimes you'll be part of a story, one third of a story. So if the PR wants to get a certain message across and, and journalists will obviously decide themselves what they want the core message to be, but it helps when a PR suggests something because you can say, are they right? Is that the key message here? Um, but certainly time is precious. We literally don't go a second over. We have 80 seconds, we do 80 seconds. Um, the whole bulletin is precisely counted in seconds. So there's nothing superfluous in there. Yeah. And so for those case studies and experts, what advice would you give them to give the best interview possible, magnify their message, say yeah. what they want to say and relax while they're doing it? Yeah, I think um, always remember we're coming to you to talk about something you know about. Yeah, you so are the expert. We're Just not trying to have trick that you. mindset. You're yeah, don't like have the imposter syndrome. No, exactly. And we again, when we we don't want you to look stupid. We want you to look good. And um, treat it like a conversation. It's it it should be fun. We, we, th- obviously, there are some interviews where you know, a, pol- a prime minister is being grilled by someone in an hour long interview. They're being grilled. They're trying to catch them out. That's not the case when we're doing 6 p.m. news stories. It's not like that. We we just want to get the best out of you. We're trying to understand something better. We're trying to empathize it's also um, from a visual point of view it's usually a very tight shot so it's basically just your head and shoulders and things so you can see a lot of facial expressions um it's it's up close and personal so authenticity really comes through when you've got that closer shot so i know it sounds silly to say just like relax and be yourself but it works honestly being over prepared is way worse than being unprepared if you've memorized your lines it's really obvious it comes across very abruptly on camera and so the best you can do is just – this is why we sort of ease people into it with a conversation beforehand because it should just be one snippet of an overall 10-minute long conversation, one or two snippets that we take out of it. That yeah. just It's a natural flow. So it's it's know your message but then make it yours. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. Don't, don't sound like a robot. But what I say to clients is that their key messages – are the sorts of messages they're talking about to everyone, to potential clients at a dinner party, you know, what do you do? Oh, and then bang, 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 this is what I do, this is the key message. Exactly. So it comes out as a conversational thing and they're generally very passionate about it instead of just, you know, a a PR messaging sentence. Absolutely. So it's, it's passion is great, polish is bad, quite simply. And in the era of YouTube, what do you think TV networks need to do to stay relevant? Well, I think the tech giants have had a tough time over the last two years with regards to trust 
And so that's something that TV networks can build on insofar as we have, you know, the, the personalities you see on TV come into your living room every day for breakfast for some people, for dinner for other people, just before they go to bed for others. And so that should be something, if you're allowing someone into your home every day, you should trust them and have some sort of affinity with them. And so I think television networks need to build on um, having personalities, representing them, who people like and people trust. I also think that sensationalist vision is something you're more likely to go to YouTube and get now if you want a horrific car crash or you know, a building in terrible flames. So yes, while visuals are really important to TV, where we can add a bit more value is probably through a good explanation, a good succinct analysis or explanation. So hopefully that's what we'll mm. focus more on. And as you say, sort of spreading it out amongst all the different areas. So online, you know, exactly. it's not, no longer just TV. It's, that's right. it's social media, it's online, it's radio. So if you're interested in a topic, you know, you're looking on Twitter, you see it come up on 7 News Melbourne, click through, you'll get the written article and then embedded into that's a video so people can have a look from different angles. I think that's a huge advantage and we've certainly at Seven been making a huge effort to build that out this year, which is, I think, a, a great step forward for us. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and finally, the tagline of this podcast <laughs> is Mainstream Your Message. So what's a key piece of advice that you have for businesses, experts out there um, to mainstream their message? I think everybody certainly myself and many other people suffer from thinking whatever they're working on or whatever they're doing is very interesting and sometimes it's not like you can get you can find anything that you work on for long enough interesting so just try and take a step back and say why should anyone care why should anyone care about this I mean I go back to I keep feel bad picking on accounting software but people don't care what's going on you know behind the scenes they care because they go to Woolies and it makes their transaction easier yeah. you know they so it's care. more about the benefit not exactly the so think yeah. about the consumer friendly aspect of whatever it is you're trying to pitch great advice thank you so much Gemma for coming in you've given us such great insight into how you work how you think you know what you need in order to make a great story and I really think the listeners out there will benefit greatly from the insight that you've shared so thank you very much I know you've got a super busy day ahead and let me say thank you so much because having a great relationship with PRs makes my life a lot easier makes their life a lot easier and it's always a pleasure so thank you for giving me this opportunity awesome thank you it was wonderful to have Gemma Acton in the studio. She's such a legend. I'd encourage you to head over to the Facebook page, Monica Rosenfeld Magnify You, or my LinkedIn page, just Monica Rosenfeld, and leave your comments and feedback. I really look forward to hearing from you. And feel free to ask any questions and questions that you might want to ask journalists because I'm very happy to do that on your behalf. Thank you so much for listening and tune in next week to our podcast. I'm your host, Monica Rosenfeld. Thank you for joining Monica Rosenfeld on the Magnify You podcast. If you liked the episode, rate and review the show on whatever app you listen to the show on. You can listen to Magnify You on all podcast apps, including Apple and Google. Spotify and the TuneIn Radio app are other great ways to listen. If you are looking for a marketing speaker for your next event or PR for your business, contact Monica Rosenfeld at monica at wordstormpr.com.au.